Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-reg and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals. And it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrail, which is my next sponsor. Versatrail has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place. Not to mention, they do a lot on the feasibility side, which makes feasibility surveys a breeze. Check it out. This is a company that is going places. Versatrail. My next sponsor is Creo. I've been using Creo for years. They are eSource and eReg and CTMS and patient database and eConsent and so many more other things. And while they are not free, I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own, specifically DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee. And then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything. Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Look, we bring you real people working in the industry. Occasionally, we'll have like the so-called thought leaders, but they all regurgitate the same thing because they're not active, right? Well, we have like the goal of this show, this podcast is to bring you active people, People that you, the audience, can learn from in real time and relate with. So we got Vilena Trask. She is someone that really does it all at the big CRO level. Her LinkedIn's underneath. She's got project management skills. She's been at the big CRO world for over a decade. She works with sponsors directly. 
She works even with other CROs. She's in the contracts. She's in the site relationship. She does PM, all kinds of stuff. That's a true generalist, right? Valena's here to discuss her career, how she got started. Valena, you're going to be an inspiration to many that watch, and many will be connecting with you. So maybe we start from the beginning, because when this is the problem, when we have somebody, and I just introduced you as someone who's in the trenches doing the work, but when you have somebody who's been in the industry so long, you lose the relationship with the people trying to get in, right? And if you're listening, this is not just for career seekers, right? If you are a site, Valena's directly has a hand in contracts and budgets too. That's part of her day-to-day role. She does it all. Feasibility, contract, all this stuff, right? So there's stuff here for sites and job seekers. So Valena, with that being said, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Dan. Um, Great to be here. So I guess we'll start, like I start with everyone. Like, how did you get started in this industry? Um, You know, the meme that was circulating through the pandemic, um, we just kind of slide down the slippery slope and you fall into the garbage can. Um, it wasn't a gar- garbage can. I would say it was more of a you know gold mine. It was a career that I never expected um, to get into. And over the years, it's proven to be so meaningful. Um, it drives me to do um, the best I can every day. Um, but yeah, my boyfriend back then, um, who found me in Virginia and convinced me to move in with him in North Carolina um, as I was working um for Ikea manufacturing facility, doing accounting there. He was like, hey, I'll find you a job. Um, I know people um, and he's in the recruiting industry too. So he found me a job um, with what was back in the day, a smaller CRO, but still um, one of the major players Um, in the market today. um, I got in through accounting. I learned a ton about project finance. I learned a ton about our sites, about the struggles that they're having financially, how critical it is to make sure that the contract is done right. Otherwise, the site is not going to get paid on time. Um, And that's how I've connected um, with a lot of sites um, and just connections in the industry through knowing that how important it is to pay our sites. Um, And our mutual friend, um, Dr. Fox, I've helped him on numerous occasions um, because that one little opportunity that got um, my foot in the door opened such huge doors um, where through support of management at um, the CRO, I was able to get into study startup. I've done side contracts, budget negotiations. I've probably negotiated with a lot of your sites, Dan, um, but Dr. Fox's sites, all the site networks of probably worked with them. Um, And my career started progressing through um, the growth of the organization, mostly because there were no solid processes in place. There was the intent. So they saw that I was very um, process oriented. I knew how to see the big picture. I knew how the things connect, what causes what, um, what's important, what's critical, what we need to move forward. So that's the key part. part That's the key part. People struggle with learning. Like they can learn the basics, right? The four hour video, 
but how things connect is like where you go from algebra to calculus. Like that's really oh, yeah. like where the magic is. That's where the truth is. And so you were able to do that early on. How do the, how the different stakeholders connect and um, exactly. And this was and so you joined a small a small CRO that grew and you grew with it, right? Grew with it, yes, yes, pretty much. Because um, they grew, they went through mergers and acquisitions. How did you and... survive? The were there layoffs or redundancies? Like, how did you stick around? So I think the insider information about the CRO world, there are functional areas that generate a lot of revenue and there's functional areas that don't generate as much revenue. So the site contracts and budgets, if you are great at what you do, it's job security. Um, a good contract negotiator, contract manager is always in high demand. So, mm. yeah. What makes a good, what's the metric? Well, Say as much as you can, but what's like, just give us maybe a high level look at what makes you good at your job from the contract side. I'm always curious, like from the CRO world, what that actually means. So from, from, from the contract side, you basically get a workload of X amount of sites, X amount of studies, depending on which type of model you might be in, whether you're FSB, FSO, whatever, there's different models um, within each CRO. Um, some are better, some are not as great. Um, what makes you good is knowing how to make a connection with sites, with the stakeholders there, um, knowing what tools you need, what information you need to make that connection, knowing how to dial the phone and get in touch with the person if you haven't heard from them, um, and just be clear in your expectations with the site that you're working with. Hey, I want to get this done. Because based on the amount of contracts I execute within a month, year, whatever, um, that's what my performance appraisal is based on. And I think mm. that's one of the things that was uh, motivating me to be um, a high volume uh, contracts negotiator. Um, whenever there was a, a, a fast paced study, they would throw it at me and I'm like, done, done. And then next thing I know, I get a cooler from sponsor for um, helping being part of the team that <laughs> achieved the first patient in. So you say you get a cooler. Yes. Back in the day when it was okay. I mean, like a, like beer? a lunch cooler. Like, oh, a lunch cooler. Oh, I wish okay. it was a beer. Yeah. Like a, yeah, lunch <laughs> like a 32 pack of beer. Okay. Lunch I wish. Cooler. I got no, it. I can't do so that the, now. So the sponsor would send you that. Say, hey, you know what, Valena? Thank you for this. Well, everybody got on the team, but because of, um, in the end, it's a team effort. Um, you have to be part of a team um, so and make that happen. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, and as much as you can share, is money like the end-all be-all or is it really the speed or is it really like just getting these contracts done? I know there's a range. If you take any study, there's a range of like, okay, this, the minimal, this is like the lowest budget side. They don't know it, but they're the lowest. And then this is the highest. And then somewhere in between, are these limits established beforehand or do they just happen organically based on the site skill? Uh, and then what's your, are you told, Hey, you know what? Try to keep the budgets in line. What's like priority? Is it saving money or is it like just getting these sites up and running and uh, like fast? Um, there is a cost associated with getting to the market late. Look what happened to Johnson & Johnson, their vaccine. 
um, the most recent one, then they scrapped the whole program because everybody else got ahead of them. I believe it was RSV. So um, cost. Um, cost is one of my pet peeves. Um, currently, right now, I have worked with Grant Plan. I have worked with Grants Manager. I have met with the salespeople who sell those benchmarking systems. Um, I know very well how they're supposed to work. Um, only sponsors and CROs have access to them, right? Sites don't have access to that data that's in there. Also, only sponsors and CROs, because they pay that licensing fee, they um, also heavily rely on that fair market value benchmarking to ensure that you know they're not overpaying sites. So yes, you have a site list of 20, 40, whatever, um, before the sites are selected or awarded the study, um, there is a process that goes on. Um, the whole study budget needs to be um, put together. And then the per patient budget has to be put together, how much we want to pay each site for each patient, for this is how many screen failures we anticipate based on the indication we're working on. We also know we have to pay sites for startup. We also know the overhead. So all that information comes out of those benchmarking systems. And we expect generally as a rule that the 50th percentile, the one that we go as, um, as our baseline will be accepted, statistically speaking, uh, per vendor uh, by 50% of sites. It's not, it's not the case today. Used to be, yes. But um, after that 50th percentile, they make um, the top parameter, let's say 75th or 90th. It's whatever the system spits out. That's what we take as almost religion. And this is the range that we're going to negotiate in. So um, wow. procedures, each one of the procedures, each one of the costs that comes out of the benchmarking system, you know, we have to have some kind of base to the, you know, true value of the what the services the sites are providing are going to be worth. Pandemic came, a lot of things changed. I've seen so many things change, especially in my last role as a site relationship lead, because I was in such close contact with sites all the time. They would explain, you know, these are the costs that are changing. These are the requirements that our sponsors are putting on us. Uh, these are the systems that we need to accommodate all these new requirements and so on. So there's a lot of costs that um, these benchmarking systems, they don't have them. And um, the other pet peeve of mine about the benchmarking systems is the fact that the data is only as good as the data that's put into them. So, for example, we negotiate a contract and budget, and that contract is supposed to go back to metadata or um, the grants manager or the grant plan. And they're supposed to put that data in and then true up the numbers of what those procedures actually cost in the market. So let's say informed consent used to cost, you know, hundred dollars, and now it's costing 150, 200. So metadata is supposed to put in that 150, 200 back in the system. And next time when they refresh the data, um, it's supposed to show us, okay, the current market value is the 150, 200, not 100. Well, unfortunately, I don't know why. And I would love to have a conversation with metadata people <laughs> at some point or grand plan people like, why are we still seeing the hundred dollars for the ICF 10 years later? Is it because and, the sponsors prefer that it's in their best interest to keep it low? Or the data <laughs> is not updated. 
why i first of all i didn't even know metadata does this kind of stuff i thought it was just yeah. edc i knew they do like epro and like operation stuff but i didn't know yeah. they get involved in the payments on the sponsor cro side they yeah they have a very robust um fair market value benchmarking system they've had mm. for over 10 years interesting is the brand name for this grant plan or is that something else uh grants manager grants manager so they're direct so competitors yeah i see wow you know i've been doing this so five i've been on the other side on the site side negotiating hey there's a budget until i found chris so the first 10 years maybe of my career i was doing every budget contract myself yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> nothing there was no process whatsoever it was like yeah. i got the original i heard from other sites you're supposed to negotiate sometimes i yes. would double it sometimes i would go out like depends on I have ultimately got more sophisticated. I learned like the therapeutic area. Okay, this one should be higher. This one would be nice if it was this number. Ultimately, we came to like an agreement. But I know some sites don't even negotiate at all. What percentage do you think of sites that just do zero negotiation? They say, thank you, Valena. This is like great budget. I have at least 10 studies that I'm overseeing right now. Every budget is negotiated. Everybody. Sites are more are becoming more savvy, and I am rooting for sites. I am a forever site advocate because wow. it was if it wasn't for you guys, we would not have patience. Yeah. We would not have data. Um, so effort. Um, if you can explain to me, if I was negotiating with you, if you can explain to me what is your hourly rate for the study coordinator, nurse, tech, PI, whatever, and if you can explain to me. How long it takes them to do the ICF? Does the PI do the ICF? Or is it the, somebody that they've delegated on the delegation log? Who does the ICF? Um, oh, Kitty. <laughs> um, so if one. you can rationalize, if you can show me the math, I'm a very math spreadsheet person. If you can show me the math, how you came up with your costs, um, I will let you have it. And I will root for you in front of um, the sponsor or whoever right. um, that, yes, these costs are reasonable. So is the old adage true? I've learned this almost day one. If you can justify it, it might be it'll probably be allowed. Yes. All right. That's a good rule to live by, sites. Um, I know. I will tell you, when I see uh blood draws for Central Lab, yeah. if I see, oh, you know, we have to draw let's say five tubes, right? Hmm. At $100 each. Hmm. Does it really take $500 of phlebotomist time on, you know, a healthy adult or, you know, whatever adult study, Right. let's say CNS study. Does it really take $500 of phlebotomist effort? How much are you paying your phlebotomist? However, if it is a pediatric study, you have the parent, the two-year-old child, the study coordinator, the phlebotomist, everybody's there trying to calm down the child, tell him it's going to be okay, you know, take the time to do it right, uh, make sure that everything's labeled and so on, and then, you know, send it off to Play the processing um, area, whatever. The situation. You have to manage the situation. And, you know, I have the firsthand experience, the, the example that I just showed you. I have been there with my son at an academic site within a clinical research um, area of the university. 
I've been there. I've been on the site side. I've been in site assessments where I'm performing the assessment and I'm a very savvy healthcare consumer myself. So if you can rationalize why it takes you two and a half thousand dollars to do a 30 minute infusion for a study drug that's approved, yeah. can you explain to me Yeah. why? Why? Well, why? I would well, not even see that on my own medical bill. So a lot of the <laughs> stuff and then some of these budgets, they don't even break them down like yeah. into like processing the labs right because and that could vary from study to study and a lot of the yeah. issues we have is as a site you don't know how complicated... you don't have the lab manual because it's not ready yeah yeah and even yeah. If when you, you get did, your like... budget the lab manual is not ready yet and even <laughs> if you did do you think the person negotiating the contract read it like they're relying on yeah. the coordinator to tell them hey is they this didn't it? even read the protocol title to understand yeah, exactly. what the study is about exactly it's like so <laughs> you're kind of like opening a pandora's box whenever you start a new study as a site because like like i we have one study where it literally takes like a couple hours to process the tubes right there's like 10 tubes some have to be double centrifuge some have to go in the incubator some have to go frozen some ambient and every visit's different yeah so okay, well, I, would, I would pay you a lot of money for that. Yeah. And the benchmarking system does not account for that. Exactly. Um, it, your budget is going to be only as good as the person and their training was um, the person who creates those budgets. So bigger CROs will have whole departments of people who are trained to create budgets, budget templates, budget parameters based on the grant plan or grant manager. Does it look bad on you? Or I know you're a manager now, so you don't necessarily do this one-on-one -on -one anymore, but on the contract negotiator on the sponsor CRO side, does it look bad on you if after the patient randomizes a few subjects or after the site randomizes a few patients, they come back and renegotiate the budget? Does that look bad on you? No. Okay. Maybe you just underestimated, but good luck getting that. You can get it. I've my experience. You can if you get randomize... it when there's a protocol amendment, push for it. If you know there's a protocol amendment, push for it. It would be my recommendation for the sites because it's usually the very first sites who get their boots on the ground and they figure out, oh, this protocol is actually much more complex than we thought it was. You know, the lab kits are shipped in a garbage bag, and we have to make <laughs> our own kits. That's you know, true. Um, it's so an true. exaggeration, but yeah, I've seen those pictures. Um, I don't know if it was you or Brad who posted them, but like, yeah, the first site activated first few are going to be the ones who are really going to see whether the study was designed properly. Well, not in a hurry, you know, make sure that corners weren't cut. Um, one of my pet peeves, cutting corners, because we're talking about subject safety. Hmm. Uh, but no, um, my recommendation to site, once you have your um, data to show for it, go back during a protocol amendment and say, hey, we need to renegotiate this because the effort that was estimated initially, um, and here's our site performance to show also, um, yeah, we need to renegotiate. It was miscalculated. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now, to give some, I told you sites, you're going to get value out of this if you stayed you if you just heard the first minute and you say, oh, this is going to be about careers, well, you missed out. So if you know a site, tell them, hey, go listen to this. Let's go back to careers, though. Yeah. Uh, you said something earlier about FSP versus FSO. 
I know yeah. FSP. I don't know FSO. Like, can you explain to me and to maybe the audience that like what's the difference? Uh... The FSO is um, my mind is blanked. I don't know the correct abbreviation, but it's the full service. So when you do the full service study from when you full fully outsourced full study outsourcing, yeah, it's a when the when the sponsor um does not have the resources in house. And they have to outsource the entire study to a vendor, CRO, different vendors, whatever. They pick and choose who they like to work with. Mm -hmm. So on the full service side within the CRO, you have every functional area doing everything for, for the sponsor per the contract, per whatever the scope is, whatever they want to do. You know, they might do feasibility. They might do um, study startup. CRAs are within... Um, the CRO, um, everything, data management, you know, it, it's basically a menu. What do you, what do you want CRO to do for you? Um, mm -hmm. And then FSB side is where a CRO has a relationship with a sponsor and sponsor wants to outsource to CRO only one specific function. So for example, side contracts, they only want the CRO to do side contracts for them, or they only want to use CROs, CRAs. And there's many reasons for that. Um, I don't think I'm a stakeholder who can explain what are the benefits of each. But it, it when you down are to more control, of, probably. Yeah, yeah. And also um, risk management as well. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been on both sides. Um, I enjoy it. Every, each one, every one of them has their pros and cons. Um, you get embedded into the culture of one or the other. Um, and then you have an identity crisis. Who do, who do I belong to, the CRO or the sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And it's usually like the bigger pharma that does the FSP yeah. model. Because mm -hmm. it costs, I'm imagining it costs more. And they're okay with it uh, because yeah. they're, they've got the money. Um, and then when it's a smaller sponsor, typically it's FSO because they don't yep. really know what they're doing and know they what they're doing. The have to hold their hand. That's then, right. Then they come to the big CRO, they get scared because <laughs> yeah. they don't, they have trust issues. And, um, yeah, I was at Magi back in 2019. Um, I was actually, um, one of the panelists for the budget conundrum discussion. Um, it was quite interesting. What was um, the topics? It was the budget conundrum. What's the what do conundrum? we do when we have an impasse about the budget? Um, when uh, you have a sponsor, the CRO, and the site, we just get into an impasse. And how do we solve it? Because what's more important to site? What's more important to um, the sponsor, the CRO? Um, and how do we resolve it? What are the things that we need to have? So um, on see. that topic, um, I, I think we already touched on the fact that you have to explain to CRO or sponsor, why do you want what you want? Why are you asking what you want? Um, show me the data, show me, you know, what are the activities that um, you need covered and why, and why it's not covered by your overhead. What does your overhead is meant to cover for you to request that rate? How much are you paying to your PI study coordinator um, and so on? So have, a documentation ready um, when you send your very first counter back to CRO or the sponsor during your contract negotiations or let's say the budget, have your documentation ready up front so the CRO can have it as a backup 
in the event it's outside the parameters um, and they can just escalate your requests right away if you could. But have documentation for your overhead, for your startup fee, for your pharmacy lab, startup, closeout, maintenance, whatever. I mean, I've seen 30-page documents that are full of explanations of what each fee is, and this is how we came up with it. 30-page documents. I mean, some a, sites go above and beyond. <laughs> but these got to be the academic medical centers. Of course, right? yes. Yeah, yes, there's yes. no private site in their right mind doing this. I don't think there's a need for that. <laughs> You're talking, so for all their justification, right? Not just overhead policy. Yeah, have okay. it on your letterhead, nicely organized. <laughs> Every everything that you want, um, <laughs> and explain why. So, I got it. Document but, archiving, you know, who archives documents? I don't know. Last mm -hmm. time I was at a site, all the documents were in the cloud. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean that uh, happens now. Yeah, you know, have different use, fees that you need covered. Put them in a paper, on a pretty letterhead. Pretty letterhead, yeah. I mean, we mm -hmm. use like a Creo for Ereg. We use Viva Site Vault for various different things. So we we might do it and then upload it to one of those portals and uh, probably say, well, we yeah, we could send you the link because you don't need an account to view it. But oftentimes, just go. a PDF See? file Perfect. is the way to go. PDF yeah, file. Yeah, send a PDF file <laughs> with your first uh, counter to um on, on the budget. If you're, you're gonna make your life so much easier. Maybe that's, well, let's save that for later. Career, okay, career seekers. You got in based on your accounting and financial background. Mm -hmm. CRO saw that attractive. A growing CRO said, hey, you know what? We actually need this. So, Valena, love to have you on board. You grew within. So, you've said you've done feasibility you've done study startup. You've done like project management type stuff. I mean, it sounds like you're skill set is basically a clinical trial manager like you've yeah. done finance obviously you've done startup you've done operations what's i guess what was the was it like intentional the way you decided to grow your skill set or did it just happen organically and not worry about it too much just whatever the job entails so I love learning. I've always loved learning. Um, I like to make the analogy that my brain is like a sponge. It soaks up everything, every little bit of information that I learned along the way. It helps me one way or the other downstream. And uh, yeah, I just love learning about what are the other process steps that happen before or after and how can we make it work together more seamlessly. Um, and as a next step in my career where I'm looking to grow is that clinical project management, um, overseeing the different functional areas, making sure that everybody has what they need to get up and running. Um, all the vendors are contracted, all the vendors are doing the job they're supposed to do, all the functional areas are moving along swiftly at pace where we need to meet You know, the first site activated, first patient enrolled, and so on, last site activated, just seeing the whole process. And I've also, in my previous role, I've been enrolled, involved in escalations regarding database locks. Like, hey, we cannot find the, the data management people at this huge, huge um, cancer institution that is very reputable on, on the West Coast. Um, we can't lock the database for the entire study because they are so behind on their query resolution. 
Hey, I've monitored a site Oh, like you. that. Probably that same site. I think Oh, I know yeah, who it yeah. is. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, so I've seen those situations, and um, I'm a huge problem solver. Um, and because being in one place has sort of allowed me to learn every nook and cranny of the CRO world of the whole process. Um, when somebody comes to me, like Dr. Fox, hey, we haven't gotten paid. You have to know your systems. You have to know how to find information that you need to get things moving along. Um, yeah, so he threw a, a very challenging problem at me that he had been dealing for a couple of years, actually. I went and I ran with it um, and he got paid. And every time he got paid, he's shot me an email like, hey, thanks for um, figuring this out. We're finally getting paid like we're supposed to per our contract. So And that's part of your um, role it, as a site relationships manager, right? Is keeping yeah, sites so happy. yeah, yeah. I was uh, one of the people um, in the group who whose initiative was to ensure the sites were getting paid. So there is intent when the C within the CRO world to pay the sites, pay them on time. I mean, those departments are ginormous. Um, there's so many different functions, but there are so many obstacles to sites getting paid on time. It's ridiculous. So knowing that if you can fix something at the very beginning on the contract budget template development stage, if you have that awareness, you fix it there. It just flows. You never have a problem. Um, when I was a, a study lead um, in, in side contracts, I would create the budget templates. I would create the contract templates. I would hand it over. I would have a conversation with a sponsor about, hey, you know, I think we need to make these parameters this and that, um, and this is why. And, you know, I, I'm worried about your enrollment. So we need to ensure that our stipends are adequate and, you know, just handed it over to the negotiator. I never heard from her. Never. Maybe once I touched base with her. We had a kickoff meeting, never heard from her again. There were no escalations. And a few months later, I check in with her. I'm like, so how's it going? She's like, oh, we've been done months ago. Thank you for the wonderful budget parameters and the setting up the study for success, essentially. Um, so I, I love wins like that. Um, I'm a perfectionist, um, which, yeah, sometimes um, bites me back. But It's good it's, or bad. It's good and bad. It's good or bad. But you yeah. know why you're doing this. You know, you, you know, you always have to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Um, I do it for my son. I do it for all the patients um, with unmet healthcare needs. Um, what keeps me going is when there's no site activated on a study and they have a patient who's waiting for this treatment. That will be my number one priority. Um, you, and th that so is you because actually I work think in about a lot of that, oncology. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I am such an empath. Um, mm. I think about it. It, it is much more to me than looking at the protocol. When I read the protocol, when I try to familiarize myself with the design of the study, I see the, you know, the endoscopy uh, room where the patient might get the endoscopy. I see the biopsy procedure. I see all the lab, draw lab draws in my head. Um, I see the vital signs that they're getting. You know, I see the scales that somebody might be administering on them. Um, I see them getting an infusion. I just don't see, you know, black and white PDF. I see right. much more. I see the big picture. I think about the patient and I immediately address it like, hey, we need to ensure that an Alzheimer's patient and their caregiver are adequately um, 
not only compensated, but they have a stipend, but also for that patient population, you have to think about access to clinical trials. Um, did you, how, how are they going to get to the site and so did, on? Did you start seeing, because I know so many in the space that don't think that way. Did it, and you yeah, don't have don't. to get into details regarding your family, but was it because of the personal situation you had that made you be aware of this? Or was it something before that you were aware of constantly? I think I think it was way more aware of it. Um, once I had my son enrolled in a clinical trial um, for something that doctors tell you there's no cure. It wasn't something like a rare disease, morbid type of situation, but you go from one doctor to another and, uh, you know, you get, finally you get to a site that's like, yes, we're opening clinical trial. We think it's going to help him. And I'm like, okay, great. I want to see the ICF. I want to see the study design. You know, what are we getting ourselves into? Um, and it was a, a long ICF and, and the, you know, the one page that says, you know, the compensation for clinical trial, $25. Yeah. <laughs> 25 so it's not but, enough no but the amount of time that it took for us to drive back and forth get him out of daycare to take him to a different town go to this academic center deal with the parking take just time off the of your work of time that it took yeah my work my husband's work and everything um mm -hmm. and 25 dollars to watch a child slowly eat applesauce to see whether he's going to have an allergic reaction or when he's going to have it. Just those food challenges are horrible. And then he, when he does have tummy aches, whatever, runs up to the nurse like, I think I'm sick. The best way he can verbalize it, they have to give him epinephrine. Then you have to wait for two hours. And then he throws up again, more epinephrine. So you've spent like six, eight hours on site no compensation wow. for nothing. Wow. So yeah, that really changes your perspective on things. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge patient advocate. I'm a huge advocate for people um, to advocate for themselves for healthcare. I, I love clinical trials as a healthcare option. Um, the reason I'm wearing pink, um, I'm a four-year breast cancer survivor. Wow. Um, okay. So if there is a trial, cancer, whatever, um, I will advocate for those patients and I will get them what they need to the, within the scope of my abilities. But yeah, um, it's Let's a lot. See. So it's definitely but personal it's, for you. And very. yeah, and it gives, it takes people like you to show everyone else like the reason. I think sites don't lose sight of that as easily because no. we deal with the patient every day. But I think it's very easy at the CRO, at the sponsor, and at, definitely at the tech vendor to like forget about the ultimate purpose of everything siloed. The work yeah. is siloed very yeah. much so. The bigger the CRO, the the more siloed the work is. Every functional area is like, no, this is not my job. This is not my job. This is all I do. And I've always stretched myself to help people. Like somebody sends me something like, I don't know. I don't know what this is, but let me see if I can figure out. So I think one of the advantages that I have, having been with this, within a CRO, same CRO um, for such a long time, I know a lot of people. Yeah, I know people at the top. I know people at the bottom. I mingle with everybody. Um, and you never know when, you know, you might need your back scratched by somebody to get you a favor or get something done. Um, 
What do you so, think? You've been, a, you're basically a generalist, right? Like you've, I mean, obviously the contracts and budgets are like foundational to your career. Yeah. But like you said, you've basically been project management, you've been site startup, you've been mm-hmm. feasibility. I mean, you've done everything, right? Site relationships. So you're essentially a PM or a CTM as well, like those skill sets. Yeah, that's do you without a title. <laughs> without a title, like a generalist. I call it generalist. Like once once you've mastered I think I'm a, I first of all this thing generalist I don't think anyone ever becomes a generalist I think it's just something you can strive for and there's a spectrum of like one end is unattainable and the opposite end is like a specialist so yeah. I'm somewhere in between and a lot of it is just being in this industry long enough mm-hmm. like you become more of a generalist right yeah so you've you've seen enough to where I guess if you had a magic wand to fix one or two things about this industry, like what would it be? Um, I was just asked, asked that question, I think, uh, last week. Um, if I could have a magic wand and fix something in this industry, two things. Um, I will give you the, the, the quick answer. Um, and that was the answer that I gave to the person who asked me that question last week was I would fix the whole benchmarking to be more up to speed to what the market actually requires. We need to save the sites. We need to keep those businesses afloat. (laughs) Uh, We need to keep those businesses afloat um, because we're not only helping people with unmet healthcare needs. There's so many examples of that. Um, You and Dr. Fox have discussed that on your podcast before. Um, Yeah, we need to fix the benchmarking. So, it's not only the CROs and sponsors who are staying afloat. I mean, a, a lot of sponsors go out of business. I, I've seen that happen. Um, and then sites don't get paid at all. Um, that's also one of the escalations I've dealt with. But the other th- side of things that if I could wave a magic wand and um, have it fixed is the lack of holistic training for the different functional areas throughout the CROs and um, sponsors. So the lack of generalists. The lack of training. The lack of training. Yeah. So you think everyone's so siloed, at least early on in their career, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, because you've been in this over a decade, me, same thing, like I've worked at Ceros. By the time you get to like where we're at, it's too late. Like there's the, the majority of people are in the specialist phase still. And they're, they're just trained on like one aspect and that's it. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the, um, the specialists that I have to work with, they don't have, you know, they have their education, they have their JDs, but their CRO or sponsor have not taken the time to do the shadowing. It's very difficult to do shadowing in this remote world. Um, The reason I feel I have great contract negotiation skills is because my line manager actually, I don't know how many weeks we did this, but he actually sat down with me next to a screen. We went through the entire CTA section by section with him helping me understand the intent of the language, why it's there, and why sites might want to change it. Mm. 
nobody does that anymore. So I am very <laughs> thankful to that line manager. Wow. Um, or taking the time and showing me those things. Um, when I was a trainer um, for like the budget development process, um, I still have those WebEx recordings where I would go step by step. This is how you do it. This is why you do it. This is what you need to pay attention to. Because if you don't pay attention to these small things, you're going to have a snowball effect downstream and you're going to waste so much time um, fixing it. Mm-hmm. So um, when you have solid training, um, you will be able to get rid of some of that white space of or inefficiencies. The, the, the time spent fixing the inefficiencies on the CRO and sponsor side if you can get it done right the first time, person knows what they're doing. They're confident. Um, they can tackle situations, and you know they feel supported by their line managers, trainers, whatever peers and mentors yeah. to do the job. It's gonna come like you know second nature. Like I can look at the budget and tell you what's wrong with it. Yeah, I think that so, I think a lot of these like organizations as they get bigger and you're like perfect because you've been with the same company for over a decade right so you've Mm -hmm. seen them grow i think the best companies like you lose efficiency as you get bigger or no you you increase efficiency as you get bigger but you lose Mm -hmm. uh flexibility right yeah like the, the lose agility yeah. yeah, the smaller, like, I, I talk about sites because that's what I know primarily, but mm-hmm. I think it applies to everything. Like, when you're a startup site, you only have, like, five employees. Like, you, my clinical trials yeah. right now, we're agile. Like, if one coordinator's gone, hey, the other one come in, just do, we don't really skip a beat. But we are losing efficiency because we don't have the scale. And revenue. And revenue, right? But as we get <laughs> bigger you you lose that agility because it's it you be it's so easy to just streamline hey you just do this you just do that and then Mm -hmm. as you get even bigger you start getting into the magic wand issue that you're trying to fix which is (laughs) you need to cross train (laughs) people so i think the best like big organizations have small departments that like do this well they act like best of both worlds as much as they can um but the reason i'm bringing this up is What's next for your career? So these two things, these two magic wand issues that you discussed, you know, yeah. I guess FMV updating it and then um, cross training to not have yeah. specialists everywhere. Do you think like what's next for your career personally? Do you think you want to do like CTM, project management, even though you've done those things, but like to actually do it like as your yeah as my main job responsibility yeah that's that's the that's the next step in my career that i'm looking forward to um as a matter of fact i'm going to a networking event um this evening to connect Mm. with recruiters and other pharma um in the area so you have to network you have to talk to people because you can apply to it'll be up it'll be up on youtube (laughs) you can you can apply um to hundreds of job posts through, you know, my workday, whatever. Um, and you're going to get the same automated response. Sorry, pick somebody else. Well, did even anybody look at my resume um, or not? But what's next in my career is, um, you know, I'm a, at a stage in my life, personal life too, where I have the ability to go back um, to school. Um, I am starting an MBA program here in a couple of weeks. I am going to work on my PMP certification. Um, I already finished my um, Lean Six Sigma 
um, yellow belt training provided by my employer, which like totally opened my eyes how important metrics are. Um, and yeah, I will work on wow. getting into the project management um, so I can wear the multiple hats and I don't have to be siloed within one function anymore. That's and kudos to your employer. Goal. Kudos to your employer for doing that. You know, we make fun of CROs a lot on the show. Not a lot, but it's just here and there, little japs. Yeah. But like they, they're doing, if they're the ones that paid for this training for you, the, the yellow belt, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's really good. Like the, and I, they do a lot of that that goes unnoticed by people in the yeah. industry. So I, I'll give them a shout out, like where they deserve it. Cause they do deserve it. Um, in many instances. Yeah. Yeah. that's really cool they have more resources and um you know when the time is right in the market they have more resources that they can allocate to employee retention so i have really enjoyed being part of employee resource groups um you know we have young professionals um or non-cro non-pharma professionals um group who are trying to make it when this within the cro pharma world we have one of those resource groups we have all these communities where employees can feel supported. And, and I love that I have had the opportunities to see the organization grow from, you know, small, uh, not even a, a thousand employee to many thousand employee organization. Um, wow. And you have so many opportunities to feel connected to your peers, even though you are working remotely. But um, part of uh, that um, employee resource group, they have all kinds of initiatives for internal training. Um, we have a huge training department um, and all you need to do is just knock on your um, manager's door or during your one-on-one -on -one discuss, hey, you know, I would like to do this. Um, so these heroes, this advice for the job, the people starting their careers, right? I always suggest, hey, go start at a small site. From there, you can get the skill set quick and you can go anywhere you want. But let's say you finally get to a CRO yeah. like you did. That was your first job, actually, CRO. How many of your peers do you think actually take advantage of these trainings, like percentage-wise? Maybe less than five. Less than 5% take advantage Um of these training opportunity for free yeah. at these CROs. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of this stuff, guys and gals watching, listening is on you. Like their resources are out there. They are. Right? You just have to know how to find them. But is that the issue? Like knowing how to find them or just not doing it? The systems within large organizations are so confusing I mean, I'm having a hard time getting to uh, my time card every month. I see. Uh, it hides somewhere else. Uh, so technology is definitely something um, challenging to keep up with, not only on site side, um, but also on the CRO side. Mm -hmm. Systems change, technology changes. You know, we're going to revamp our portal here and there, and, and then you can't find the stuff. But uh, yeah, it's there. You have to make connections. You have to be ready to make connections. I'm one of the oddballs that still enjoys going to the office. Um, I love it because I get to meet people. I get to talk to people. I get to network with people. Do you work from um, home? Do you work from home? I have the flexibility to work from home, but I actually go into uh, the office. I have a desk. Because you're an <laughs> RTP. What a, a archaic thing, a RTP. desk. The, the, so because you're an RTP, you do have an office nearby like it's the headquarter yeah. right yeah mm. and how do you mm -hmm. 
when you go, do you feel like a increased sense of camaraderie? Yes. Yes. You, a sense of belonging. You belong to an organization that cares about you. Um, mm. You know, I love the Nespresso machine that's there. <laughs> I love the cafeteria <laughs> because be... they subsidize the food for employees. You know, you can get breakfast for $2 or lunch for $4 and it's great. Um, so I, I have been lucky enough to appreciate the efforts that the organization puts forth to keep employees coming back to the office. Um, I see. And the RT, That's so true. if someone's an RTP, like, do you suggest, let's say someone's watching, listening right now, and do you suggest they move to RTP to try to get a hired easier? Or do you think that's not necessary anymore in like a 2023 and beyond world? RTP is a very high cost living area at the moment. Apple is moving here like three miles I from heard, my house. I They're heard. building the new facility. Cost of living in it is insane. Um, I love living in North Carolina. North Carolina is home for me. Um, after living um, in Latvia, where I was originally born, um, North Carolina's home. It's very expensive, and there's no shame in taking a remote role. Um, mm -hmm. It's just whatever works for you, whatever works for your personality, for your working style. I am very fortunate that um, I moved here, um, and we have property before the insane for the boom um, real estate boom <laughs> um yeah i it's it's a privilege it's a privilege to be here and i love it um and um if you want to move here it's a great place to raise family but if you're somebody who's just starting out at the you know beginning of your career the cost of living is getting insane so but you get a job with a cro remotely um they pay well they have great benefits the CRO benefits, um, I think, are way better than, um, let's see, benefits if you go through a recruiting company, much better. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been on the job search for the past year. Um, the market is very, very rocky right now. Everything is in huge turmoil. Um, but I'm up for the challenge. You know, I've been through mergers and acquisitions along the course of my career, I, I've had so many lessons learned and I am ready to branch out even more. And someone like you who doesn't need to, you voluntarily go to networking events. So <laughs> on a regular basis, yeah, but that says yeah, a lot about plenty you. Of, uh, yeah. There's plenty of um, professional groups um, out there um, in the area. And you're coming um, to Save Our can... Sites, right? Saveoursites.com. I hope so. I hope oh, so. If I, I can uh, <laughs> put you on the spot. with the uh, ski trip. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, shameless plug yeah. for Save Our Sites, Save Our Sites conference. Um, no, you guys got me excited and I want to go now. So I just need to figure out the logistics. And, okay. uh, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be um, in February. Um, well, Tucson in February is amazing, right? Everywhere else is That's snowing. That's it might even be like 75 or 80 degrees and sunny. Yeah. Like it's amazing. Well, if I'm going to Tucson, um, the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to have my ski bag with me and I'm going to go to Salt Lake City to ski for a couple yeah. of days and then go home. So right after. Yeah. Beautiful. That's setup. the plan. That's an ultimate travel stack right there. Uh, Elena, <laughs> thank you so much. I guess we got to do see when we have guests like you, it's not enough one hour. Like we would have to do a part no. two, <laughs> part three. 
to really get under the hood of like all of these verticals that you yeah. I know we spent Just a majority of it on content. I have I have lots of ideas. I have lots of suggestions on what sites should do better. Um, pick a topic and we can uh, beef it out and uh, figure out. Let's go. Maybe we'll do something on Save Our Sites platform as well with Dr. Fox. That would be pretty cool for our next one. So thank yeah. you so much, Valena. Everybody go connect. Her LinkedIn is underneath the video or in the show notes if you're listening on your favorite podcast player. Um, obviously, someone you need to connect with, no matter what you are in this space. She's a generalist by this point. So thank you, Valena. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dan. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>